Today's episode is all about the never-ending battle between design influencers and designers. Just kidding, but we do talk about how their business models differ. We share our experiences on both sides and what it takes to do them both successfully. Because running two businesses isn't as glamorous as it sounds. Let's go. Hi, I'm Rebecca of Studio Plum. And I'm Sean of Renstead Interiors. We're interior designers, turned internet friends, turned real life friends. Welcome to the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. We're not that hot or that young. Every week, we'll be spilling the tea on how a new generation of interior designers can run their businesses. Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. Hi, Sean. What's up, Rebecca? Same old, same old. Just another wild Friday night. (laughs) Why do I hate it when people say that so much? It reminds me of, I don't know why when you said that, I always think about the railroad at Disneyland. It's the the wildest ride in the wilderness. (laughs) Yeah. That's us right now. We're the wildest ride in the podcasts. (laughs) Feels like it. Feels like a wild ride. It um, is. You should break the seal. Get us started. Okay. Cause I, you know. You got something I to love- say. Okay. My fizzle, this sounds kind of weird to say. And I'm not 100%, but I think I'm going to do the one room challenge spring 2021. But that's the fizzle? That's the fizzle because. Okay. I love One Room Challenge. You know, we like preach about it all the time. Yeah. One Room Challenge like launched my business. But it's like, I just don't know how to quit you. As someone who is not doing it this time around, I'm really grateful to be having a break because I remember I I don't have PTSD, but I don't have the pregnancy nostalgia that I think you sort of have about it. Well, this time I was like, I'm not doing it because it just takes over my family. It's mostly like relationship, personal Mm -hmm. relationship, like side effects. My dad had a stroke last time. It was just like a lot. I mean, surviving any home projects like that is always a recipe for some family drama. Every time I'm like, I'm not going to do it this time. I'm just thinking about it. I'm not going to do it, it, girl. I did it. (laughs) 100% I need to make a reel about it. So it's a fizzle because I wasn't going to do it. But I do have a project that I have sponsors already lined up for. I was going to do it on my own time. Right. But now it's like lining up exactly with the ORC. Now it's why not? You will know by the time this airs, dear listeners, if I ended up doing that or not. Like, I'm knocking on wood for you, but I feel like this is one of your most achievable projects to date. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So this is going to be like a cheap and cheerful lipstick on a pig update a room that I haven't talked about yet. That's my fizzle just because I feel like I just need to do it. 
And it's going to end up being a sizzle because it'll bring more structure to my blogging and all that. But I know it's drag it out for eight weeks, which I wasn't really needing to do that. I don't love that journey for you, but I do love the it kind of helps get like hotties. If you're listening about it, like gets you out of a funk and gets you some accountability to like post and share and talk about stuff. And man, people eat that stuff up online. I mean, it's just. And it it's is such just a small so room that I don't have to talk about that much every time. So, yeah, just keep it really focused. Well, then, what's the sizzle? So the sizzle is funnily enough. Funnily is that a word? Funny enough. Funny enough. It's kind of related. For this project, I want to do a really bold wallpaper. Okay. Like boom, bold. I've worked with Milton and King on a few of my room projects. They, they have really fun graphic-y. They have all kinds, but they print on demand. They're really fun to work with. And they came out with this new line like a little bit ago by Tiff Manuel. She's an Australian. Um, she's an Australian artist and designer. And okay. she does these really oversized paintings of like floral, kind of abstract florals, mostly. It's like very gestural types of movements and things. Yeah, which I really love. You can see the brush strokes, the colors, or my palette. So. Like boom, pow, in your face. Mm-hmm. And it's a fun and, spot to do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And they're like overscaled, which I really like too. A lot of florals, if the, they're pretty when they're small, but it just becomes more delicate and formal. And I want you don't want to, to feel precious, like not here. It's going to be playful for sure. So check them out. I got some samples; they're really pretty. The colors are great. We'll link. And we'll link it. Link it. Link it up. That was all for me to get excited about this eight-week project ahead of me. As if we don't have enough on our plates, let's just add one more because let's be honest. As designers, are we ever really happy with with our lives unless we have another challenge ahead of us? Yeah, and it's just a room <laughs> that has to get handled and more to come. Okay, I'll be following along. I will be happy to watch you do it. But it's not even like living vicariously because I'm not exactly excited to live that. Like, I don't want to, it's not like when people are like, look at me, I'm in Bali. I'm looking at, I'm going to be watching you dealing with wallpaper and I don't want to do that. <laughs> so, I, know. I think it'll be great when it's done. It is going to help that it lines up with it. And it gives you an excuse to almost have some phone it in one room challenging of, you know what, you've done your really big ones. You've been featured. It's okay to scale it back. Like you can't constantly be escalating until you're doing like, a whole new home during a one room challenge. Like, oh my God. It has to scale back at some point. It has to. On my side, fizz, fizzle wise, I, I feel like this is a good place for us to talk about this kind of stuff because I think as designers, we often don't hear about it until someone else in our industry shares it. But I'm working on a plan for a kitchen project right now and we're doing some preemptive vendor conversations before we go too far into the design world and re recently i have discovered that there is a 
all lumber shortage everywhere, even for construction level lumber, getting good two by fours, getting good four by four studs, all that kind of stuff. We already are having, a, you know, some trouble with quality lumber. But now I've come to find out we're also struggling with finish level carpentry. Like my cabinet vendor in this case is not sure that he's going to be able to execute the white oak cabinetry that we want for this project at a price point that it used to be even just a year ago that lumber prices are going up so so high that the cost per linear foot on this is it's going to be a big pill to swallow and for we're we're not trying to go crazy on this kitchen but we are trying to squeeze it in right at or under the $85,000 mark and to me it seems a little bit weird that we may not be able to do that like that's like that's bad. Or, or the design is going to have to shift. Right. If budget for this client really becomes the sticking point, we may be moving to another species, but almost all of them are having trouble getting lumber right now. I could move to a bleached walnut, which is can get a similar look if you bleach it before you apply the staining, that it can be lighter, but walnut shows a lot of detail. It's not the white oak fantasy the client wants. And I want them to have that fantasy. But if budget is the sticking point, I don't want to have to keep moving down the line. But yeah, eventually you're at paint grade materials, which is much easier to hide inconsistencies in lumber at that point. Yeah, or find a way to like mix in paint grade so it doesn't become the star of the show. And right. really like highlight the materials that you want to. It's definitely going to be that. So that was, that's a fizzle that I'm just preparing myself. You know, this is what we do. We have to pivot the design. And if the client really says, okay, the budget for me becomes the sticking point. I can't keep overpaying for, for lumber costs. Then yeah, we, we will have to do that. Or they might say, you know what, this is the fantasy I'm in love with. I'm willing to get more for that because this is our kitchen and I'll be bitter about a lumber shortage in 10 years when I still am staring at my kitchen and wishing I had done the white oak, like fair yeah, enough. Yeah. It's either now budget or design, like budget or design, something has to change. Right. So we're working on that. It's not exciting, but it, hotties, I, I hope it helps you. You can prepare your clients for that. And even just giving them that cautionary tale of we'll talk about it. There's things we can do to finesse our design later, but I just want to prepare you that there's some challenges right now. It's not impossible. It's just you pay more for it if you want it. Okay. On the sizzle side of things tonight, I'm going to my first dinner party mm. with like my gay friends of, we call ourselves the gays of long beach, kind of like a real housewives moment. Um, <laughs> So we haven't, we've, we've gone like outside to parks with a few people or we've sat at some friends backyards and things like that. And we, but we haven't really done, we've done like fireside chats where we get to sit by our fire pit, but we haven't had all of us in one place since February of 2020, where we were all together at our house. Now we're going to a friend's house today, but I think it's not just seeing people. It's not just having dinner. For, for me, there's something about being in a safe haven with our LGBT friends 
and a level of freedom that comes with that, that we don't get when we're at restaurants or we're out in public. And I think that's Mm -hmm. a perspective that a lot of people probably don't know about that for many LGBT people, we're not really truly ourselves until we're in safe environments with our friends in their homes or particularly gay bars are a safe haven. And there are many places out in public, like Sean and I are not affectionate with each other in public when you don't really know who's around or what, like we don't hold hands in public. We don't sit next to each other and like cozy up with each other unless we're in our own home environment or in our friends' home environments where we know it's a safe place to do that. So there's really something sad that I have to think about that. I agree. I'm sure hotties are going, oh, that shouldn't be like that. But it's an unfortunate reality that if we had a booth at a restaurant, we have to be careful about how affectionate we are in public for fear of our safety. Yeah. Or just like weird looks and just like at the minimum, like bad energy aimed your way, which... right. Which if you're trying to like enjoy your meal or just you're trying to just have a nice time, there's something about it. And there's also something about watching our friends with their partners or spouses or boyfriends or just watching them feel comfortable enough around each other because we don't get to see too many examples of that places. And it's reassuring to see it. Right. So there's just something about that that I think that's what I'm most excited. It's not getting to see people because we have seen people. It's not getting together to eat dinner in someone's house. That's great, but that's not the thing. It's for me, it's this safe space environment Mm -hmm. where everybody can really, in so many ways, let their guard down to be authentically themselves, to feel safe and comfortable, but also like the COVID layer of that, of feeling safe enough to let your guard down a little bit now that we're all fully vaccinated. So yeah, safety is a fully realized. Oh my God. Yeah, totally. Maybe like just straight people, married people just aren't affectionate. So we don't even think about it. Or Um, no one's ever told you you can't be. So you don't feel like you're missing out on it. Like societal pressures or editing yourself. yeah, Yeah, no one's ever made you feel like you couldn't just lean over and and kiss your partner on the cheek or grab their hand or walk arm in arm with them after eating a nice meal together at a restaurant those are things that I constantly have to think about right you have what even in my own home city like even in greater LA yes I have to think about it so I'm very very excited yeah it's gonna be nice just to be if they're gonna be like washed linen like tablecloths and bougie in a good way yeah it's gonna be it's going to be bougie everybody's bringing very nice bottles of wine Mm -hmm. they are having it they weren't ready to cook for it so they are having it catered god damn it (laughs) there will not be a child not a child inside mac and cheese no not a child in sight tonight i don't know yeah i'm just ubering Probably because, you know, it's going to get lit. Don't call me tomorrow morning before 10 (laughs) a.m. Okay, noted. We're all going to just really enjoy having a good meal and hanging out and, you know, sitting down on sofas and catching up with people. And it definitely won't be enough catch up time because what could be at this point? 
Right. So make it a weekly occurrence now. Oh, I think I'm here for that, like right now. So I am excited for that. That sounds fun. Yeah. Well, let's hop into the showsy. <laughs> the showsy. This is one we should just say this is one of the ones we recorded in person in Las Vegas. Yes. So we were so. we were sharing a mic in a hotel room. The audio's a little different. I don't think we talked about it during the episode that we were together. So it's just a little perspective for the for the hotties. Which is always fun. It's more fun to record in person together, but also the audio is a little rougher, so it's a give and take. Yeah, we make it work. <sighs> we do. Let's do it. Why are we doing this episode? Yeah, designers versus influencers. Is this some sort of like Face off. It's like Justice League. Yeah, like the ultimate <laughs> the ultimate competition. The final countdown. Yeah, no, this isn't any kind of competition or no. like meant to disparage or anything. There, there's just a difference. Designers and influencers have different business models. The lines have been really blurred too, which is I think what makes it hard for newer designers or any designer, but also for a potential client's perspective to understand the difference? Yes. So we're going to dive into it a little bit today. There's also definitely some in the Venn diagram of it. There's definitely like a shared middle. Yeah. And some of us kind of do both. I think you and I both do some of each. Mm -hmm. A lot of the hotties that are listening, we know do that too. And I think it's, we can get into it, but I think it's valuable as a, from a marketing perspective to have some of both because it gets additional eyes on what you're doing. Yes. So we just had some feedback suggesting some guests that we should interview, but we consider them influencers. So we wanted to explain our perspective. It helps any hotties who are listening to know their perspectives are valuable, that potential guests or guests that we were seeing come in through suggestions, it helps to know what criteria we think is the most bang for your buck in episodes. We'd love to talk with some of the influencers that were suggested, but from a lens of how much value is it going to provide to the designers who are listening It'd probably be a cool interview, but some of them have already done significant interviews elsewhere that I don't know that there's always something new and different to add to it just by them interviewing with us. Yeah, and that's not to say we won't ever do it. Like, some of these folks are friends. So let's talk about what the differences are. Primarily, like, what are the differences in our business models? Because that's what's most compelling and important to us because we want to make money like these are businesses (laughs) we do so do influencers hopefully like they're yeah treating it like a business the big ones do treat it like a business for sure oh there's a constant huge hustle on the game of influencing and i i just know so many influencers are trying to keep shifting their business model because of the way that COVID and company partnerships and all of that are working in the same way that we're all shifting our business models as a result of what's happening in the market and with vendors and with the economy. I think 
we can relate on a business level of that hustle life and that need to stay relevant life. Yeah. And the creativity for too. Right. But um, a, a lot of design influences are not very few of them are actively working on design projects for clients and projects they do work on are really taken from a direction of this is a project we're doing for the exposure and for product and brand partnership. And many times they don't even have to take too much of a client's perspective, especially if it's their own home or if it's a close friend or family member, the same client challenges don't show up. Right. And some do, but mostly they don't. Yeah. Mostly you're a design blogger. It used to be you'd be a design blogger. And a lot of the big ones will say, we don't take client work. We don't want to deal with that. And it's Mm -hmm. not part of our strategy. So how we're defining the difference. So as designers, we work with mostly, or we should be working with trade only manufacturers and product lines that don't sell to the public. Right. And our clients are paying us to find and source materials, and we don't, we shouldn't be sharing those details because they've paid us for those hours of research right. and selection. It's a value add from a designer's perspective to have your sources. It's exclusive. It's exclusive to you. We're, that doesn't mean that they're all bougie level. They're all at different price points, but it's, these are your sources and if clients want that retail experience, they can go out and get that retail experience. Themselves. And influencers primarily make money off of the retail experience by having affiliate links every time you swipe up. If they give you codes that you use, that tells the company where that traffic came from. And they sometimes get like a portion of those sales as a commission. So... You know, influencers want you to go click on the clicks, click on the links and buy from those retailers. They don't want you to ask them to get it for you. Like, they need you to click out and every click they get paid for. And the more traffic that's driven to those sites, the more valuable their brand becomes versus like with us, it's when we create a project and we do work with clients, that's how our value gets demonstrated. Right. More than just, you know, through our expertise, through our guidance, through our client experience. It's the service side of it. A right. Lot. Yeah. And an influencer, like they, if they get paid for a campaign, let's say through a big retailer like Crate and Barrel, it's got to be accessible. So they'll get a big payout from Crate and Barrel to create some sort of campaign. Yeah. Like a room makeover. And then you go buy it. So. They're just the advertising platform. Right. I mean, I want to sell, and then we've talked about this. Like for us, the way we're making money is driven by two main platforms. Design fees is the first kind of thing that most people think of. The second is product sales. So I have to make money off of both to really support my business in long-term revenue goals Doing it with one or the other doesn't really hit all the boxes for what my business needs on a sustainable basis. So influencers don't have to think about a design fee because that's all handled kind of in-house as their process or their one, you know, one product. They just have to figure out where do I place it and what content do I create around it. 
Yeah, no one's paying them their hourly rate to create things. So they need to really get those numbers up because the more followers, the more clicks. And if you're getting 5% commission on something that's 20 bucks, you can sell a lot of those. Yeah, they. I mean, you could make thousands on trailing income sources for months, especially if the blog posts live on and people keep going to them. But I think what made us think about this episode was when we saw recommendations for guests, which we love seeing, there's a lot of influencer heavy activity. We really look at the influencer and look, are they primarily a designer who really has a strong influencer game? There's plenty of those. Mm -hmm. Are they really an influence, like a home design or home influencer who doesn't have a design business? That's kind of like a qualifying round of questions for us to look at? There's a whole mix of it all. I've seen influencers lately launch their design businesses. Yes. So are designers influencers? Sometimes. If that's what they want, you can be a tastemaker, which is not necessarily being an influencer. You can be a designer with a really distinct perspective, but then you don't pitch brand partnerships or try to sell anything. There's plenty of designers out there who do that where they inspire a lot of other people through taste, but they don't try to monetize it. Well, or they are their own clients. For instance, the big girls like Amber Interior, Studio McGee, they are influencers for their own shops. Right, like all their traffic gets driven through their e-commerce platforms. Yeah. So they are, I would argue, influencers, but they're not doing brand collaborations with Clorox or something. (laughs) Like they're... And Or if they do something, like Amber Interiors just had a recent one that's been going on for a long time for her own home with Portola Paints. And it's like, she, she uses it actively on so many projects, but it made sense for them to work on it on a project that was going to get a lot of exposure because people are really watching what she does in her own home. And, you know, they help sponsor that content to show up there. Right. Or it turns into a collection, like with her anthropology line. Totally. She's not, that's not a campaign. That's like a furniture collection and furniture line. Yeah. Within a retailer. So don't don't you want to know how that makes money? Like if anyone knows, I want to know, like I'm a nosy bitch. I want to know, like, is it a profit share based off of how much sells? Cause we saw that stuff selling out. So if it's profit share, we know she's making good money off of it. Or if they just said, we know it's all going to sell out like lines at Target, and we're just going to pay you up front for the, I think the whole all, thing. Like, I'm sure the contracts are different for everyone. Ginny talked about it a little bit on our episode with her partnership. With Lulu and Georgia. Lulu and Georgia and her line. Yeah, we can link to that. But every company manages like their licensing or payment right. or compensation package differently. So, so in- that's an influencer behavior. And that supports a, her business. And that's a strategy. So like when our designers are our designers influencers, or should designers be trying to be an influencer or grow your following to a crazy number? I, you just have to have a strategy behind why. Yeah. Like are you hoping to get enough eyeballs that at some point you can have a collection with a line? 
mm-hmm. with a brand or or is it just about gaining followers so that way by nature of the numbers more of your ideal clients show up in that audience but are your are your ideal clients around the world and country like what yeah where are they and why why like i had to ask myself this yeah like as i was growing a following of people outside of my local area i had to start asking myself why like what am i hoping to gain with this at this point i'm not looking to have clients in other states and like you don't want to tra- you don't want to travel to idaho i mean not right now I don't want to manage projects far away. Right. I'm not saying I never would, but... But it's not in the strategy at this point. Do I want to have an online retail store? I don't. No. (laughs) I don't. (laughs) I don't even... We were talking about this. I don't even want to have... Like, I don't... The shop life, like boutique life or whatever, it isn't exciting to me. And each designer also does that differently. Like, some only have a shop that's... It's not even really a shop. It's just so they can call it a shop so they get better pricing on furniture and accessories. It's a showroom, right? Right. And it's by appointment and they never are available by appointment. Like they really only have it open to their clients, but it's so they can get the best possible wholesale pricing on furniture and accessories. I, I could get behind that. But they don't have like they don't have to hire then a shop employee. And they don't have to take inventory and they don't have to have sales and ticket items and like holiday decor exactly you don't have to do the whole thing of like redressing the windows to constantly stay relevant don't get us wrong you may think that's the cat's pajamas totally hotties if that's your if that's your thing do what you do but just know the reality hey hotties have you ever listened to the show and wished you could ask us questions well we just opened up private coaching sessions Now you can book one or two hour Zoom sessions with Rebecca and me. Together, we bring over 40 years of experience in our combined professional backgrounds to help you with marketing, finance, and business strategy. We're here to guide you on anything from branding to systems to the emotional guidance that you need to run your business. Book today at hotyoungdesignersclub.com slash coaching or use the book now button on our Instagram. We can't wait to meet you. I feel like I could get about, I could get into that pop-up shop life. Sometimes Catherine. I want to do it for like one week. Did I tell you about how when I interned with Catherine Ireland, she would do that? Like she would call it a container sale, even if it didn't like immediately come from the container. But she would take her summers in France at her home. Mm-hmm. Not a secret. Like she's written a couple books about it. And she would bring things back from flea markets, collect items, whatever. And then in Santa Monica or LA, she would work with, you know, empty commercial space that was on, you know, a cute little street. Mm-hmm. And she would do pop-ups for a couple of weeks and just load in the stuff that was sourced for projects, but didn't end up in projects, which happens sometimes. And then people were happy to come in and just buy it and, you know, spend the cash on it. And then she'd be done. Didn't have to lease a space long-term. Like, Yeah. I'm, I mean, I've done like little pop-up shops with my vintage rug vendor. I've seen myself doing more of that. So in that case, it does help having... A bigger audience. An audience. Because you can sell to them now with those types of things. Exactly. And I I don't know what my percentage of local followers followers are, but it's probably like 25% are from... 
my area. So just whatever it is, you just have to have a strategy behind it. I kind of was in this questionable, I was questioning my goals last year around this. Partly why we launched this podcast. Right. Because I was gaining a following of designers. We both were. Right. Designers like to follow designers. But... But I love you all. <laughs> I love you, but you're not going to come and have me do your house. I need to pay my bills. Yeah. So, <laughs> what? Like, what are we going to do with y'all? So, here we are. We love talking to other designers, but it's just a different platform than our straight businesses. Yeah. To that point, they are really two separate businesses. There's the stories and the creation and the content and the projects that really support me talking to the potential client, the dream client, the client's questions. And then there's the blog post or the stories that have shopability or retail sources that are accessible accessible to someone who's not going to be my client, but still likes good design or likes design inspiration. Or who aren't going to be your client yet. But they want to get... Some of that ooh-ah sensation. Yeah. So when I do home projects, like we've both done one room challenge in our own homes and we have both worked with brands to sponsor some of those projects. And those brands are always available to the public or through retail sites. Right. They may be available exclusive to the trade for projects we normally use them for, but you can also buy them through. Usually it's like other designer e-commerce options. Like Kathy Quo home is one of them where she has a lot of vendors relationships and then she can sell through her shop. Burke decor is also like that where they work with a lot of design wholesale sources. Yeah. Like Jaipur, like they sponsored your rug, but they, you don't go on like a consumer can't, can't go. go to their website directly. So no, they have to buy it through another on. Usually it's an online retailer. Yeah. Like whatever rugs.com or something. Is that one? Is that a place? <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure someone owns that, but don't go there guys. I don't know what that is. Don't quote us on that part. <laughs> so I do these projects in my own home. In the beginning, it was honestly to build my portfolio and to push myself creatively. I, some designers really struggle with being their own client. Yeah. And I feel that. It, yeah, I totally do. But if, but I started treating these projects as real client projects mm-hmm. where I would create the whole thing, the mood board, the design plan. I would start pulling things together and have these little mini presentation moments with myself. And sometimes I'd even let my husband see what sometimes, I was Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> um, and he asked, is there a TV? Is it comfortable? <laughs> make the TV bigger. <laughs> um, Can you make it pop? <laughs> so my design style is not for everybody, but I really want to push myself creatively and try things that I'm not seeing places. And you can experiment more in your own home than some clients will let you. And maybe it makes clients in the future feel braver because they've seen it done and it worked. And I don't have a portfolio to back it up unless I do. So now my house kind of is that it's a living laboratory. I share all my resources in those projects because 
Sometimes they're sponsored. And I guess I haven't done a lot of big furniture projects Mm -hmm. in my house because I have a lot of, well, I also use a lot of vintage. Bathrooms, mudrooms, powder rooms. My dining room, I already have. Bedrooms don't have a whole ton of furniture usually. Like the bed and a bench is kind of a big moment. I built a bed. (laughs) Yeah. In my case, I haven't needed to worry about trade sources versus retail. Right. And I use a lot of vintage. There's some DIY, although I'm not um, defining it as DIY content because I'm not here to train people how to make no. something. And I don't want to document all those steps. Oh, it's so much work. Like, God bless you guys. 20 steps to make a pin board. Like, like it's, I can't. It's a lot. It's a lot of work to make that content. Yes. Right. So, and I don't want to go too far in a direction that I'm not. Not offering. Not offering. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And there's, you know, to that end, I will say this. For many up-and-coming designers who are building content, the blogging business model, it does really make it easy to get people to start trusting you, to talking with you, to learning about your perspective, and then wanting to see that in their own home. So it's it's helpful. And that's what's helpful for me is that influencer side of my business through something like One Room Challenge lets me talk a lot more about my design process, what I want to accomplish. And that's been valuable even when I'm doing client projects, except when it's a client project, I can't really share as much about what's going into it source-wise. Or what's going wrong. You don't want your client to... I don't want them to see when the contractor put all the sconce locations at the wrong height on the wall and think I'm a dum-dum. Or you're really annoyed at something that you recommended or referred. And then they didn't pick it. Or you're saying, like, it doesn't look good well, after or, it goes out there. Like, the electrician fucked something up, and you don't really need the client to know that that happened. You just need to fix it. Right. And there's plenty of that. There's plenty of that. And that's what our jobs are. So it's a little bit easier to show how the sausage is made. You don't have to overthink. If it's your own house, you, you don't have to apologize for anything because there's sort of this, well, I'm the one who's going to live with it. Not everyone else. And you determine the privacy level uh, real time. But it's helpful for people to see it. So there there is an influencer degree to that. And I like when designers show progress on projects and talk about why they did something or how they worked around something. And that's valuable. I, I feel like there's a level of advertising yourself as a designer when you do that. But it also, in the same line, is helping someone who's not going to hire you who may be thinking about their bathroom remodel or their kitchen and they like hearing those thought processes. And so you're kind of educating, informing, probably influencing them because they may not, they may see something that they could, you know, take down to make a note of and put in their plans to share with their contractor. Yeah. And that's the tastemaker side of it is they want that designed look. It really is like a big, kind of circle of life it all you end up accomplishing some of all of that yeah, by like course you put stuff in pinterest that you know points people to your website more that drives seo up on google it's easier to find you blah blah, blah. then real clients are going to find you easier mm-hmm. even if you have a lot of traffic coming from not client potentials right 
I think like, if we flip the question, because your first question was like, are designers influencers? And the thought is like, well, some are, or you may be, or only sometimes. And if you want that, what are you going to do with it? And, and then why are you doing it? Right. And then to flip it, which I think is why we say not everyone ends up in a good place for like the show or being interviewed is when you flip the question, are influencers designers? There's even more caveats around that because not, not all influencers are going to consider themselves interior designers, even just in their identity, they are designing things and they may have a really great eye for it. And some of them may have more experience than some if they used to be a designer and now they've gone this influencer path, but are they dealing with proposals to clients? Not really. Are they dealing with receiver warehouses? Not usually. Are they worried about how they're going to get their next lead? No. Advertising? No. It's it, it's just different. Do they have to ne- negotiate their markup percentage on the furniture? No. They don't have to be advertising and getting portfolio photo shoots together. And that, and that's not to say that there's not a shit ton of work that they're doing that we're not. There no, absolutely totally. is. It's really just what can we, in the hot, as the Hot Young Designers Club, learn from folks that primarily are in the influencer world. Yeah. There are some things, like Sean and I talk about this internally, like there might be some that we talk about, like how they address their audiences or how they market, how they market themselves, how they stay authentic. Right. There are definitely some things to learn. There's just the business side of it is very different. Right. And we're mostly concerned about making money and growing our businesses, right? Yeah, and we want to provide and we want to provide you all the inspiration and the real world tools that are needed to run a business. And so that's something we think about when we look at influencers. We spend a lot of time when we oh, get I a su- a ton of when we get suggestions, we we ask ourselves all of these questions like, okay, personally and from a professional perspective, do you like them? Can you identify with what they're doing? Do we feel like their perspective is valuable? What could they add to us as individuals, Studio Plum and Ren Set Interiors, but also what is there that could be added to Hot Young Designers Club? So there's a whole... It's like a choose-your-own-adventure chart. And as much as we'd love to be able to do more interviews, it's also very challenging to get three people all in a line. It's like a great solar system alignment to get everyone together. Yeah, I think it might be a fun exercise, actually, I'm thinking this out loud, is that Venn diagram I talked about designers, influencers, and really what is that crossover the crossover overlap that we can really benefit from Mm -hmm. i think a lot of it has to do with social media and how to like create a presence an authentic representation of yourself slash brand if that's and maybe even like the get how we get out of our own way i think as designers we often think we don't want to do that because it makes me look silly or it does this or it does that. And and influencers know that they get their best engagement when they are showing them as, people. them as people, the real life mistakes, the errors. And let's be honest, as designers, 
all of that happens with our clients and we do need to just put it out there. And I think it's good because it prepares clients for the fact that just because you hire a designer doesn't mean it won't be perfect. It doesn't mean it won't be perfect all the way from start to finish. There will still be mistakes. There will still be real life moments. We're still people. And I think that's the value of seeing the influencer's perspective is you get way more of the person and a lot of design accounts, you feel like you're just getting pretty design and not the person that helps you with it. And yeah, especially people that are running bigger studios. And I mean, if you want someone to trust you and you don't have a giant portfolio, the influencer model really emphasizes building trust and building yes. credibility. Yes. And we talked to a lot of hotties who don't feel confident putting themselves out there. And the influencer model is the model for that because it helps you create those connections with your community, talk to your potential clients, think of their perspective, get past this. Is it self-consciousness maybe, or need for privacy and realizing that this is probably your most powerful marketing tool. Feeling silly. Yeah. I mean, I, hear that a lot. It's like talking to my phone feels stupid. It might be somewhat generational, mm-hmm. but also you're here, you're alive, you have a phone yeah. and a personality. So alongside that, I learn a lot about storytelling from influencers. Mm-hmm. So like how to have a story arc in a way. Even if it is just like four Instagram stories, yeah. it's how to connect the ideas. Probably it's, you know what it reminds me of? Okay, I'm just like, my mind blew up a second when you said that. It. Do you know the situational interview te- technique? It's called like the STAR method. Mm-mm. So it's like situation, task, actions, results. Okay. And I feel like that's the storytelling technique. You use it a lot for job interview methods, but it, it's also really valuable in conversation because you start with the situation, which is like, what was the what's going on in this bathroom? We yeah. have this problem or we have this dilemma. And Here's then the, the before. Right. And then the task is, so what we're, what we're planning on doing is we're going to move this toilet over here. We're going to put the sink here and we're going to solve our storage with this. The action is the, here's how we accomplished it or how we planned for it or who we worked with or the contractor had this great idea, whatever. And then finally the result, like the pretty part, the, the fun part, but that sort of model. That's a good. It like, if you're looking for a way to communicate it to someone is really helpful. Like, yeah, what what's going on and why? What are you going to do? What are your thoughts? Okay, now here it's happening. And the real lifetime stuff is what people die for. And then the and final pretty part is the really like, great, hire me to do this for you moment. Well, that's, like- <laughs> what, we're all, that's what we're all like hanging on with bated breath for. That's a good idea and a good way for people to think about. That's what One Room Challenge is over the course of six to eight weeks. You get long format storytelling. Yeah. And really, like, you have four, like, six weeks of you can really- blog posts. Like, that's really what that is. I always have these inner annoyances when people have just 
we all do it. I'm, I do it too. Mm-hmm. But one off stories that have no context. I don't know what I'm, especially like construction stuff. Oh, yeah. Like you're seeing it after the original stuff's gone and you're like, so we're demoing here at this project. I'm looking at, but there are some designers who do it really well where they're taking you on these site visits consistently and over time you can see. And they share a floor plan, like the before and after, and they save it with their highlights and. And it's a shit ton of work. I just did that for my Lake Tahoe project and it took me like two freaking days to pull it together. Because I hadn't been sharing. I have a ton of stuff that I want to put together around that. So, but you can do templates. Now I feel like I have a little bit of a story template that's going to make that easier going forward. So, storytelling is huge. I feel like it's really compelling to followers. Honestly, most of my following is from One Room Challenge, and it's because there's a start and a finish, and they can follow the idea. There's also that level of investment that they get into it that is great with influencing because people are sticking with you to see what's happening, how it's going to end up. And then they also seem to appreciate the clarity or transparency because that's not always common in the design world that if you can master that balance between both, you can still keep your projects feeling exclusive but you gave more of the general public who may not always be a client or maybe a client far down the road enough that they still are invested in it and they want to see what's going on. Yeah, I, I have people tell me a lot they like seeing or hearing when I talk about problem solving. So it's that TNA. <laughs> TNA and star. The task and the action. Because like, I've had people say a lot like I really wasn't sure where you were going with this in the beginning. And now I are. I get it. Yep. Thank you for taking us on that journey. The magic of the design work that a lot of people don't get is yeah. that it that's where the magic happened. It's not just like here's a pretty mood board and then it gets lost in translation to the final result. The the middle part, the problem solving, the live action, the site visits, all of that is where the value of the designer comes Pivot. in. And For a lot of our hotties, we know that so many of you are working in early parts of your business and finding it hard to get clients to keep you on board through these big pieces like project management and project coordination and that full room reveal experience. Most of that magic happens when you're involved all the way there. It's not when you just hand it off and then the client runs with it. You never get the R. And you never get to the result. So I think... Telling those stories is valuable. So you can do this with client projects. It just helps to get that all cleared up front. I started adding this into my questionnaire with clients. Do you want me to tag you in process stories? Or can I share this project in stories, like behind the scenes, Mm -hmm. uh, during mid-project? If yes, do you want to be tagged? I don't care if they want to be tagged or not. Some people love it. And some people are just like, no, please don't. Don't tag me, but fine to share. Yeah. And Um, my contract is, I'm going to share. It's really like, I'm going to share these and I don't, I just don't tag anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes I feel like, oh, do they want me to tag? Like, I don't want to be acting like I'm, I don't know, I'm not too good for him or something. Right. But I also don't talk. I make it a point not, obviously I don't talk about confidential details. No. Like I don't talk about budget, but I might mention like, like, let's be real. If I'm using a Kohler purist shower system in a project, like it's pretty recognizable. 
this isn't a designer exclusive source. I might talk about why we ended up with that. Yeah. But I'm not going to, you know, share the same details about a custom sofa. I might say that it is a custom sofa and here's why we ended up doing it, but I'm not going to say where I got it done. And I'm not a bitch on Instagram stories, but when people ask, where is that from? I don't usually respond. Yeah. I try not to. It's definitely project by project. I have a project right now where the owners are kind of influencers themselves in Mm -hmm. another business industry. And the project is going to be for rent. So they're building a business. Like they want more eyes on it. Exactly. So, but we have an understanding about all that. The last thing that I really think that we can all learn from influencers is photography. Stepping up our game. Yeah. Making it, even if it's iPhone stuff, you can make it look good. Make it compelling. Make it consistent to your brand. I mean, I think that's what so many potential clients are expecting from designers now is that influencer level of quality in content in our websites. That to me is where the level up happened is, yeah, there is sort of a minimum expectation now of having a really good looking on brand website, having a really put together marketing platform elevating the professionalism all the way through. And we see that with influencers where it's thought out, it's planned, it's organized for a lot of the big ones. And the medium-sized ones, most of them do it themselves. So they're self-taught photographers, graphic designers. A lot of it's not impossible for anybody to learn. They've just learned that, like, go-to, easy, clean style that isn't random pictures of their cat and yeah i don't know like there's there a there's a strategy and a method behind everything that they share for I, the most part i appreciate that even if it's casual right i appreciate that from influencers because they really have had designers in a good way and in a new way to not feel so elitist because your goal is to get clients. And if your clients are going to be on Instagram or they're going to be, I feel like really realistically, we're talking about Instagram because as a social media platform, Facebook isn't doing much for a lot of designers. We we just know that like statistically, like the data really doesn't show that. It's good for groups. I'm there for the groups. Right. And, and I don't consider a platform like, house i don't consider that a social media platform so i'm not really thinking of that when i'm thinking about influencing but it could carry over into your pinterest game where quality photography and creating some even simple graphic work really makes a difference a lot of my traffic now is to my website is coming from pinterest like it's like up to 15 percent now where which for me is like a shit ton so For that to be coming not just from Instagram, but also to have a social media sort of aspect of online marketing, but community because people share pins, they're commenting on pins, they're sending them to people. All of that's helpful. Pinterest is like a whole thing that I... We're not even going into that right now. I think we should have an episode about it or interview an expert. It's like low-hanging fruit that I'm personally not picking a lot of, but... But I think that's that influencer behavior that we should be... Going, oh, I don't have to become a full-scale 
fashion influencer or lifestyle influencer, but... Yeah, they're driving traffic to affiliate links and roundups or whatever, and we want to drive traffic to our website, so... Or to our services through our website. Right. Like, hire so me like, to do this. Figure your strategy out. Yeah. Really... Even if it's project reveals or that kind of stuff, like you see most designers don't invest too much in the blogging influencing through Pinterest, but they do spend a lot of time in making sure that their projects are searchable. Mm -hmm. So people will be genuinely surprised when they search for, you know, Orange County, Orange County designer or White Shaker Kitchen, and they find out that the designer of it is in Orange County near them, or, you know, things like that, then that's the, ooh, I like this kitchen, I'm pinning it already, and it turns out the person I like is in my area. That's kind of the joy of that spark for someone, and that's what a lot of us would hope for, and I I think that we can achieve that. So there's a lot to be gained from it, but I think the good thing was we talk about what are we trying to present to all of you hotties as part of this is some ideas on how influencing can be beneficial for you and your business strategy, but then the potential pitfalls and maybe a little bit of a downside that could distract from your design business. If you're not prepared to manage it as two separate components. Yeah. And I would also caution everyone not to try to emulate the designs of influencers too much because most of what they have is so readily available Mm -hmm. that you're not kind of sets you up to not be able to make a lot of profit off of it. If someone knows like like you're, I don't know, you're just copying someone else. Exactly. I like to push boundaries. I want something different thing. I want, yeah. I want people to hire me and feel like, like Anaya said, like feel like they hired a designer. Right. Versus, Versus I just copied Sarah Pinterest. Sherman Samuel's kitchen. Well, so you see, she's somebody who does both, though. I know. She does both very well. But I don't want to just copy her kitchen. <laughs> and I don't, if clients bring me like that thing, it's like, well, that's yeah. great. Why don't you just go do that yourself then? Right. Or I can do you something that's just for you and special. And I'm not in the business of copying someone else's design. Like, you can get that. She already showed you how. She wrote blog posts. She shared it all right. online. Like, if you really want that, great. If you want to bring that to me as an inspiration and see what we can do that's special, let's talk about it. And I think the closer we try to emulate that, it gets really blurred for a potential client to see the difference. Yes. And a lot of what we're selling to our clients isn't DIY level. There are some creative ideas in DIY. I personally have a lot in my home, but I'm not going to sell that exact. I'm not hanging wallpaper for a client or painting cabinets. No, or or doing like a IKEA IKEA hack. Yeah, I have several IKEA hacks in my house, and if I do something aesthetically similar, it won't be made of IKEA materials for a client. Yep, and part of that is also in our own environments knowing when something is more temporary and we're going to eventually up level. And so I've had even some clients or not clients, but followers who will say, well, how long is that going to last or how long will that be there? In an influencer's perspective, I know that I will eventually be upgrading to other things in some areas of my home. 
And I'm okay being like wasteful about that. But many of my clients are not. They they do not want a five-year solution for something. They want, most of them are like, if we're going to spend this much money now, we might as well do it right one time instead of, yeah, a five-year like, solution is let's have a consultation and I'll tell you what color you should paint your cabinets, but we're not going to... Don't pay me. Like, save that. Save that for when we're really ready to remodel exactly. it. Oh, you want me to tell you a place to buy some nice brass hardware? Cool. I'll, t- I'll name a place for you. I think this was a good place for everyone to start thinking about it. And... Yeah, there's a lot of... What like, kind of value can we glean from the influencer world? Just and then have some awareness and start paying attention and thinking about it. What we can we learn from them? Where are we different? Right. And we don't have to copy... Everything that they're doing or anything that they're doing, the coolest part about what comes out of the influencer world is that there are so many different and unique perspectives. So you're not trying to talk to someone else's audience by copying what they do. You're really trying to create your audience to attract the people that reflect what you're trying to do and then repel the people that do not line up with that. And it's okay. It's okay if not everyone likes you. You guys don't have to feel like your job is to get everyone to like you because quite literally it's not. They don't all like you. No. You don't want everyone to want to hire you. You want a very specific person or project or both to hire you. That's true. Until next time. Stay hot, designers. Thanks for joining this meeting of the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Check out the show notes there for links to things we talked about today. We are keeping the conversation going on Instagram, so don't forget to like, comment, and follow at Hot Young Designers Club. You can find Rebecca on Instagram at Studio Plum. And you can find Sean at Renstead Interiors. That's W-R-E-N-S-T-E-D. If you start with your intro and the reveal or the the, the bookends and like and there's a lot of TNA in the middle. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> NFSW. Don't threaten me with a good time. NSFW. Yeah. Um. <laughs>